are back. We are back. Welcome, everyone, to Match Point number nine, a tennis bets podcast. I am one of three hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9Tennis on Twitter and all the socials these days. If this is your first time listening, Chancellor's Hype found us. Welcome. Hello. If you're a returning listener, our returning champion, welcome back. With me, as always, my number one tennis talking bro, Derek. Derek, hello. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back. I don't know if you've been following my plumbing issues, but uh, the plumber's back again. He's freaking back, but I think you're here to uh, listen about tennis, you know, so we got more tennis talk. Well, hopefully you don't have to hop out uh, mid recording again. Now let's take it from California here where Derek and I are to Canada. Welcome in Mr. John Reed, our third host here. He can be found at JR Tweets Tennis. He does betting content for his own brand, Tidbits Tennis. He writes for the Action Network, Betting Expert, Hammer HQ, and he does tennis form recaps. John, welcome back. Hola, hola. Ready to go? Well, this is a tennis betting podcast, and we like to be transparent about what we talked about last time in a little segment we call, What Did We Win? What Did We Learn? And I have a third here called, What Did We Miss? I I got a couple things I want to talk about here at the end here, but our wins. Lorenzo Musetti, minus three over Cam Nori, swept free. Thank you, Lorenzo. Juan Pablo Vareas, John's bold call to fade Hubie Hercash comes in at plus 200 on the money line. Great job, John. Talked about Nico Jari being... Probably a little bit too much for Marcos Giron, and uh, he covers the five. And I talked about stacking the three zero and the three one. He wins in the fourth set. Cash that ticket for me, thank you. How about Zhang Jian? Talked about big serving scammers being en vogue. Well, guess what? They were in this match as well. Covers the seven and a half and the over thirty four and a half versus Rude. Davidovich Fokina taking on Novak Djokovic. John pushed the over two and a half breaks, which came in pretty easily. Novak was getting broken left and right. The over 32 and a half came in despite this match only being three sets. Uh, and my biggest bet, which I pushed, which was Fokina to win a set, does not get there despite him serving for it in the first set and having a set point in the second set. I would actually argue I was actually impressed with Fokina in that match, even though he didn't come in. He could have folded it in a couple times in that second set, but battled back to get to that tie break. It's easy to nag on him and say, you know, he's got folky brain and always struggles mentally to, to finish things off. And while that might have been true, I was actually impressed for portions of that match. I just think a few points uh, screwed him up. Uh, Fabio Fonini money line. Well, that lost from a setup on us. Karen Hachanov chokes away a seven game lead going into the third and it falls four in the fourth. And unfortunately... Torch money line does not come in for us as well. Uh, what did we miss? So last time we were recording, Fritz was still playing. So we didn't have the Fritz Surrendolo line up for us quite yet. And opened up with Francisco Surrendolo as a dog versus Fritz. Now that price to me at the time and in hindsight was off. I mean, you think about it like natural clay quarter taking on Taylor Fritz, who has like zero clay pedigree, has done nothing to earn being like, he wasn't like a massive favorite, but a pretty decided favorite in that match versus Dolo. John, what do you think about the pricing and, and how that one came together? I feel like that was a, a really good fade American spot uh, on the, the clay surface here at Ron Garros. Yeah, I, I needed a bit more to get involved. Um, I did think that Dolo as, as a dog in general was was at any price going to be somewhat tempting, but I, my numbers wanted it a bit higher. And it, I guess it makes it makes sense. I mean, Taylor Fritz has kind of, I don't want to say scammed his way to success, but he had some okay results in Monte Carlo. You watch him play, he looks okay on the dirt, but that's, you know, when he's playing Sitsi Pass in Monte Carlo and, and Sitsi Pass isn't really moving him around all that much. When guys can move him around and can really kind of, like against a Sitsi Pass, right? That backhand is weak enough that he can't really do much if Fritz is hammering away at it. Whereas Dolo can at least pull the point back to neutral and then use that forehand to put the ball into the outer thirds of the court where Fritz just doesn't know how to move well when he's pulled off court, right? And they mentioned this on the broadcast particularly that a lot of guys who play on clay will slide through and then hit their shot during their slides. Fritz will hit the ball and then slide after. And that has the effect of like taking him off the court, right? Mm. And taking him further uh, away from being able to recover to the center of the court, which is what you're taught to do from, I don't know what, the time you're four years old, you hit the ball, you run back to the center of the court to be ready for the next shot. It's just basic. And when when you slide the way he does so late, you make that kind of task so much tougher. And you also leave more open court. For a guy like Sarundalo with that forehand, that was ultimately his downfall. I think it was the, the point construction and the patterns 
as well as the, he's not a terrible mover on clay. He's just not a natural mover, right? He's somewhere in between right now in limbo. And, and he's got to improve that part of his game. If he really wants to take that next step uh, on the dirt. But as he said, Madrid, he's like, it's something you got to deal with. You got to be able to win matches on the clay. If you want to be top 10 in the world, it's not something he'll ever be particularly fond of, but he's go- He's going to try and learn how to adapt and learn how to, uh, I guess, get better on it. But I, I don't think he's got any illusions of him ever winning Roland Garros, put it that way. I don't think anyone has any illusions of him winning Roland Garros. I think that was one uh, one we missed. And then another one was uh, Yoshi Nishioka versus Tiago Seboth Vield. How do you say that? Seboth Vilch. Vilch. Seboth Vilch. Vilch. Yeah, so obviously Vilch has been in fuego, right? Like he you know, beat Medvedev, but he seemingly had it rolling. But with Nishioka as a, a plus 145 dog, I mean, Vilch... Had a lot of court time rolling into that match, not just from Roland Garros, where he had the th- three qualifying matches on top of what he'd already played in the main draw, but uh, he's played a lot this month as well to get into that form. And Nishioka, you know his style of play, like it's going to make you play a lot of balls, make things a little physical. It's how he's going to win. He's going to try to break you because his his whole percentage is, is so low, drawing out your unforced errors. Plus, his floor is like, I mean, there is no floor. There's a reason this guy, <laughs> such a surprise what he's done. Uh, you know, it, it, he's very up and down uh, in his career as, as a win against Casper Rude on his resume three years ago and, and didn't do anything uh, to build off that. So at plus 145, knowing that if the match goes a little long, maybe those legs get a little tired. Plus this, this, this guy is not exactly a, a reliable favorite. I, I think that was a, probably a worthy chase that I don't think we talked about last time. So I'm trying, I'm trying to add in some insight here to just, Listing off our, our our wins and losses. That one was the one I I, I stared at. I, like I'm not too upset over the Sedundulo thing. I'm not adding him. Like even hindsight, I, I'm not really all that results oriented. I think it's I only get really pissed off at, at major chokes and more so the ratio of chokes to to come back wins. Outside of that, like if I miss something that I think was marginally okay, like the Sedundulo number whatever if i miss something like nishok i i did i really did consider that just because of how wild a vilch is and how he does overhit right he only has that one gear and against that spinny forehand coming from the nishoka side of the net and his ability to run down and make you hit so many one against that top spin if you overhit you're gonna you're gonna end up producing more errors off your racket and two if you play more balls against that said spin you're also likely to end up with more errors so there was also a matchup edge there for nishoka that um, that I liked that I just didn't pull the trigger on. I, I'm not too upset with it. It's it. I would have I would have probably played Nishioka before I played Sedendol, though. In terms of price evaluation, let me put it that way. So that that's one I think uh, I'm on the borderline of saying I missed. I, I'm not as upset with the with the with the former. Yeah, I, I wasn't out there backing Vilch, but uh, I'm I'm just saying in terms of yeah. uh, matches we could have pushed on the pod, and also just a, a macro view, you know a more veteran tour player versus a guy who really does live on the challenger scene. This is deep into a, a major event. Now you, miracle runs happen, but could also just take a step back, put it, you know, put it in a macro view plus one forty-five. Not a bad bet. All right, guys. Well, we missed round four on here. We're into the quarterfinals. Now we're going to talk about some plays, but first I'm going to tell you about Spotify for podcasters. All right, guys, the quarterfinals are here. And I took the L on the last podcast saying there would be no surprises uh, in our preview and and I'll keep the L but three of the four matches here are pretty chalky and <laughs> relatively uh predicted or predictable our ringer from the, from the preview pod Zach Cohen at underscore ZCO from tennis bets and Vsin did tip root at plus 300 for his quarter which he's on the precipice as a favorite now uh, so there's a hedge opportunity with Runa and then Karen Hachanoff at 125 to 1 for the tournament he's into the quarterfinals so Overall, I don't feel uh, we were that off uh, looking at the, the the draw as a whole. Hachanov is coming in here. He's going to take on Novak Djokovic. Djokovic is quite the favorite. So the hedge with that 125 ticket is going to be steep. Uh, and I don't know that he can really do it, actually. But Novak is minus 1,200 on the money line. The the game spread is 7.5. The total is 32.5 here. These guys have played eight times before. Novak has won seven of them. So he's 7-1 against this guy. Last played in Paris at the Masters event there at the end of 2022. Novak won 6-4-6-1. They've played Roland Garros actually before in 2020. Novak won in straight sets by eight games. Now, this will be Achanov's uh, first time this tournament on Chatrier. Not great. The win seems to be affecting service games, arguably his biggest weapon. Last time he played here, he lost 6-1, 6-4, 6-4 to Alcaraz. 
last year. Austin Cade, Nisha Cora in five sets in 2021 here. As eight-game demise in Novak in 2020 was here. The last one on this court against Puy in 2018. Not, not a lot positive here for the Russian. What, what do you guys think? I mean, the, what is it going to come down to Karen's weak backhand, I guess? If he gets any backhand rallies, like he's just basically screwed. I mean, they both know that. And then I would stick with Novak on this one if I had to play. I, I have trouble judging which side of seven and a half game spreads to land on. I mean, Novak could just take this guy out, but then you can just also look at like hatching off serve and stuff that might be able to save him some self from getting broken too many times. But yeah, if I had to make a play, I would take the minus seven and a half games at minus 110. I kind of like the plus seven and a half a little bit. He's not really the worst returner. And I think Novak's been more, as we talked about last time, a little bit more vulnerable on serve than we've seen in, in a few years, um, whether it's by the eye test or whether it's by the actual hold percentage number than we've seen on on clay. And look, Chanoff's not the best returner. I don't think he's the worst either. He's got He's athletic enough. For his size, he's got the weapons to to kind of buy himself some holds, and he's got slam pedigree. I don't think he's got. I don't think he's coming to this, you know, super nervous, right? I mean, he's made the semis at the last two slams we had. I know those were on hard courts, probably preferable, definitely preferable for him. But seven and a half is a big number, right? And I don't want to to sit back and and Djokovic obviously covered this with ease in his last match, different situation. Buddy has coming off three five setters, that kind of uh, that that amount of tennis kind of builds up on a, on a, on on one's body. And obviously, Buddy S is still nowhere near Hachinov's level, so it's not exactly comparable. But we haven't seen Novak thoroughly dominate someone of this level so far, I don't think, on the clay season. I think that's safe to say. Like, Fuchsovic's not really a clay quarter. Uh, he didn't really dominate Davidovich Fokina until that third set. In fact, he didn't dominate Davidovich Fokina at all until that third set. And I'm trying to, I'm like, Kovacevic is not a, a clay quarter. We haven't really seen that dominance yet. And the pedigree at slams is now there for Hachanov. The weapons are there to find him some holds. He's okay uh, athletically. I don't think Novak will rip through every service game for three to four sets uh, as easily. I'm not necessarily loving the plus two and a half sets. I mean, Djokovic has, has played some tight sets, has not lost one out of slam this year, other than the one he lost to Enzo Quacco, well-known you know, slam competitor and contender, Enzo Quacco. But the seven and a half games does feel like a lot. Like there's got to be a double break there along the way at some point has to be. And I mean, I'm not going to say that Novak can't do it, but if you, if you kind of think about what it would take to cover that number, you're talking about like a three, four, four or three, sorry, a three, four, four wouldn't get it done. That's my whole kind of thing here is he needs at some point, even if he serves first in one of the sets, he's going to need a double break. And then he would have to make sure he's goes unbroken throughout the entirety of the match as well. It's, it seems like a lot. This is a big number against a guy like Kachanov, who has enough of a profile game-wise to to trouble Novak, uh, especially for spurts. Novak has been awful for me, uh, both when I bet on him or against him. <laughs> so to me, all the data leads this will be over in, in three sets. I don't like the under 32 and a half because he could get that break and then be broken. And then I know I'm going to back the 3-0 and then... This will be the the match that Hachanov actually does just snake out a set, like <laughs> wins at tiebreak. Finally, finally Novak loses at tiebreak or like gets broken at the wrong time and late in a set. And then Hachanov only has to hold one time to get the set. That's really what needs to happen for, for Novak. He's getting a pretty lucky-ish. Well, he lucked out of Fokina not being able to serve it out because it actually did happen in that first set. He got the, the break came late in the set. But a lot of these breaks in these Djokovic matches happen early in the set and then he can get him back at like three, four or like four, four. So it's expensive. The three L too. It's like minus minus one forty-five. I'm going to go with, with John and that plus seven and a half. What's a plus eight. How much, how expensive, how expensive is eight? I know seven and a half is right at minus minus one ten right now over at, uh, at pinnacle at the time of recording. So the eight is pretty uh, minus one forty. If I had to pick something, I would pick the seven and a half just based off the fact that Novak can seemingly have the breaks needed and then get broken and still win in three, and then your cover's fucked. So, And also my instinct is to smash the unders here, and Novak will uh, just know that I'm, I'm on that and, and fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> I do think this is a bad matchup for Hachanov because uh, th- this is like the, the, the ultimate returner, and he does have that weak second serve. So a, a holding serve is going to 
be really hard for the the Russian side here. That said, I the way that Novak keeps getting broken, I mean, even the Peruvian got a break against him in his last match. All right, guys, Carlos Alcaraz, Carlitos, is taking on Stefano Tsitsipas once again, 4-0 head-to-head against this guy. Last time they played was in Barcelona just a couple months ago. The final was 6-3, 6-4. They'll all be on Chatrier. Tsitsipas last played here in round one, but he's played there a lot over time. Alcaraz is... Six-game favorite. He's minus 500 on the money line. The total is at 36. Steph is a plus 375 dog. Now, everyone's really super impressed by Carlos Sacra so far, and rightfully so. He's been amazing. But, I mean, could Lorenzo Musetti provided a more of a dud performance in that <laughs> last round? I mean, that was pathetic. And you could see it in his eyes. I mean, this guy was like, he just didn't have it. He didn't have it, and... When he did try to have it, Alcaraz, well, it's Carlos Alcaraz. He was like, no, <laughs> I'm going to return everything back and make your life hell. And everyone's like going crazy about how this guy's level is so great. It's like, yeah, it is. I mean, but it, I don't know. I guess for me now, I've watched him enough. Like I expect like the greatness. It's like, I kind of think like there was some, the door was open a little bit for the match to be a little closer. I mean, he was, you know, he, if he's having that type of air game against Novak coming up, it's going to be tough for Alcaraz. Yeah, I thought there was going to be a bit of a more challenge for Alcaraz there. I mean, I know he lost to Musetti last year, and Alcaraz is a much better player now, but still, like, Musetti didn't use all of his tools. It was kind of an odd match for him just to, like, lay down and just get beat up the entire match. But I don't know. That's what Musetti does, right? I think that semifinal is going to be a good one now, the way Djokovic has looked in his last four sets and Alcaraz has looked pretty much every set except for uh, the second against Dennis Shapovalov and the second against Taro Daniel. I mean, he's been pretty dominant. Shapovalov should have won that set, of course, but the three double faults in the game, kind of, kind of not a good idea playing Carlos Alcaraz. Just, he tends to win a point here or there on return. I don't know if people were aware, but the, the issue here is I just, I don't trust Steph at all to compete with Alcaraz and he played his best match of the tournament last match against Offner. That was really impressive. He took now he struggled early on with the with the Offner serve and I wonder if if Offner may have fatigued a bit as the match went on and that's why Steph was able to tie up his serve better or Steph really just managed to time up his serve more efficiently than he usually does with big servers heavy uh, heavy hitters because that was actually pretty impressive. Those that second those second and third sets his defending not just moving around the court. That's always been pretty good, but like the way he was defending, getting balls back with depth. I was like, man, that is a, if since pass is able to do this combined with his, his serve forehand and just incredible offensive abilities, watch out because that'll be, that'll be really interesting. Now he lost, I believe he lost to Medvedev the last time they played in Rome prior to that though. He had started to finally figure him out. Like Medvedev owned him, I think for the first uh, parts of part of their careers, but he, he started to come to net a bit more, realizing that that was going to have to be something he was, he wasn't very comfortable with it prior, but kind of you have to against Medvedev. Same to apply here, right? Carlos beat the crap out of him in Barcelona. Even if the scoreline looks somewhat closer, like a single break here and there, like it was not close. It was not a close match. No one ever thought like, oh man, this could go either way. You know, it's not like I agree. Oh, for all. Like, so he's going to have to do something to, to change that. And coming into net against Carlos Alcaraz is going to be, Something he's going to have to do. And he's going to have to deal with the fact that Alcaraz is going to find passing shots. It's going to happen. Like, you're not going to be perfect against that guy at net. He's a, he's just one of the most natural shot makers you're going to find. I think he does have the mental strength, though, um, and and his approach and his mindset, especially he gave his on-court interview and, and mentioned, you know, being able to disengage and and move past things. And if he could just get over the fact, okay, he, he hit his passing shot. That's what Alcaraz does. He's going to turn to the crowd. He's going to, yeah, yeah, look at me. Great. And I mean, he deserves to because he makes stupid good shots. But move on to the next one. Keep coming to net. You know, Max Struess in the NBA to take this back to a, a less niche sport in here, here in North America. What was he, 0 for 10 in the first game of the NBA Finals from three? Last night, he was just he just kept shooting. And what happened? He, he drilled like three of his first four and he never really cooled down all game. Miami wins. Like, that's what Steph has to do. He's come to net. You get past. Who cares? You got to keep coming to net. You're not going to beat Carlos Alcrest from the baseline. You're not more athletic. Your backhand isn't good enough. Uh, you're not, you're just not going to beat him in in a baseline battle unless your serve is just firing and you're hitting 70 80% of your first serves which you're not going to do but unless you're doing that and locating them super well you're not sticking close with him so he's going to have to make some sort of adjustment yeah i'm not willing to bet that he makes that adjustment 
Also, I, Alcaraz, I feel like, is getting just more and more comfortable on that main center court here in Roland Garros. Quite the home for him. And, yeah, what what has Tsitsipas done? I mean, yeah, he beat Offner, who was lucky to be there. <laughs> I mean... That's under the ta- like under the column of what he's done. Yeah, yeah like he he beat a uh, a challenger player for the most part, who's like like bottom of tour challenger player to get here in the last round. It's like if I want to pick a bet, like I, I almost want to just pay minus one fifty for Steph to win a set. It's booked at minus one fifty for Steph to win a set. Yeah, he's uh oh man, Alcaraz three zero is plus one ten. That's my bet. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, price wise, it's not bad, but I mean, you think is the way to go, or what? You think he's just going to stomp him? I think that the uh, yes, I think that the uh, amount of times this ends in three sets uh, should should you should be laying juice, not getting plus money. So that's a great bet to me, to be honest. Win or lose, I mean, Alcaraz. The only way Alcaraz drops a set just since he passes if he just biffs it, like hit can't get it in, double mm-hmm. faults, and this like this thing that we're trying to guess what this extra element would be to get him over the line. This this new something different versus the other matches. I'd say most of the time, Alcaraz probably doesn't drop a set here. So a plus 110, I like that a lot. Yeah, I don't know if I like it a lot. Now thinking about it, though, I do like that more than Sitsipas winning a set at minus 150. I think my money's better off value-wise with uh, Alcaraz winning in straights at plus 110. Minus two and a half is plus one fifteen. So they actually have you can get a little bit more. This is on Bovada. That's how they get you. John, do you have a, a play on this one? Nope. Zero interest. <laughs> I enjoy Steph matches when I don't bet on him or against him, honestly. Cause it it's frustrating when you do. He just like has like bird brain. And then when you bet against him or you bet on him, no. On him, bird brain against him. It's just like he can't miss his first serve, and you're like, oh God. It's like it's like betting against Nico Hari, but just a way better version you know what i mean and so that's that that for me is the issue so i'm gonna uh i'm gonna go ahead and pass i do think uh, i like the I, I don't like either one but you know yeah uh, i do i do my write-ups and sorry i don't love either match i do actually like like i said the hachan off plus seven and a half more than anything i found in that other match and i was able to write it up and i think there are enough situations where he he can muster enough games even in even in three sets to to cover that number so i'm just gonna stick with my hachan off it's my only quarterfinal bet for uh, the first day of quarters on the men's side yeah to be honest i'm not even gonna bet on this match like like i do prefer that plus 110 bet that dave was talking about with the straight sets win for plus 115 plus 115 but it's like i have this ridiculous bet this another parlay with both florida teams winning their series and the heat and the panthers along with carlos winning the french open i like like plus 1800 or something like that so uh, i don't know i got a little bit of skin in this match already and i'm just gonna roll with that parlay so i don't know good luck on your bet though dave all right the next quarterfinal we can talk about that is set uh, we are recording here zverev's up here in the the third so it looks like zverev is probably going to close out in three and that'll be one side that also looks like uh so it looks looks like it'll be at zverev uh, but not quite set just yet. But we do have Casper Rude taking on Holger Runa. Once again, a rematch of the Rome semifinal from a few weeks ago that we were on the right side of as a podcast. Four and one head to head with that one being that Rome victory for Runa. Came back to win after a controversial bathroom break. Was down a set and it looked ugly. I think it was down a set and a break uh, mm-hmm. before storming back to win. Uh, before that, he lost last year to Rude. Here at Roland Garros, at Monte Carlo there as well, Estad and Monte Carlo in 2021. Before that win, he'd only won set against Rude. So he bucked that trend, picked up a dub, picked up a, a five-set win against Frankie Sarundolo today. Rude outlast Jari in three. It was an ugly three. The he scammer, was down. The scammer is dead. Yeah, well, that's he got scammed. Scammer got scammed. He was, I think, uh, what, three of 15 on break points, which was nice to see because he always does that to other people. He was up a break in the second. He was up a break in the third. He had 40-15 to consolidate and 40-love, I think. 40-love and 40-15 to consolidate, got broken both times. It was so good to see. So good to see him get, like, freaking ripped off. He should not have lost that in straights. He should have had at least one 6-3 set. And I'm glad he didn't because I had minus three and minus one and a half sets. I could afford to lose a set. But I had the minus three, and the minus three was dead if he had 
if rude if rude goes seven six and then three six you're in trouble against that kind of server even if he went seven six seven five three six you're still screwed because then you need a six two to win both bets or a six three in the third to push one and win one so i was really happy to finally get lucky and win something like that at the margins like it felt so damn good but in terms of this match uh real quick i do think that look, there's going to be an exaggeration. There's already being an overreaction to Runa appearing to like struggle physically towards the end of that fifth set. There's a day off here. Um, how long were they on court for? I think it was actually pretty lengthy, even though the, there were some a lopsided set or two along the way because there were some longer points. But again, I the backhand wing is just a big edge. Rue doesn't have a big enough serve to really control play. And uh, Jari showed that today. He got into plenty of service games. There should be some service breaks here. Break props might be the way to go in this one. Because remember, when we're talking about break props, I think there's a couple things that come into it. First, you want more than the minimum amount of sets, right? Because that gives you more games for your, like more service games for your the, the guy you're opposing or whoever you're backing to break. It gives you more return games to get there. You don't need to hit a higher percentage. This this has four to five sets written all over it, right? Yeah. Uh, neither guy was particularly impressive today. These guys have played close matches in the past. They're actually pretty close in terms of talent right now on this surface for me. I think I have Runa power rated a bit higher. I, I do think that that's a, that's a pretty uh, interesting matchup. I would lean Runa at plus money because I do think he is a bit better. Um, and there, there's probably going to be an overreaction in terms of, uh, what's it called in terms of the, um, the, the potential fatigue from, from a five setter against Dolo. Okay. So uh, what I'm looking at is either the over or rude to win, but now I'm kind of just leaning the over. Well, let me set the scene here real quick, Derek. So Runa mm-hmm. is, uh, a plus one of five dog game spread is one rude is a minus one twenty five favorite. And the total is at 39. So pretty high up here. This could go four sets and, and fail on you pretty easily with the 39, just FYI. Yeah, it definitely could. So with Runa today, I mean, like his endurance is seemingly always in question now. And if you watch that match today against Sarundalo, I mean, you can understand why. It was pretty much on, not full display, but it was on display. Like he was up, what, two sets to one. And then the fourth set, dude, that guy just took that set off. Like he just took a break as if, he was an older player. That's something that older players do. Like Monfils does that. Like Fognini does that. Like uh, Benoit Paire does that sort of thing. Like they just decide to take that four set off because they're already up a set and they said, oh, screw it and whatever. I just need to get some rest and then I'm going to go full speed in the final set. Why does a 20-year-old do that? <laughs> uh, it's because his endurance is just pretty low. and Pretty suspect. Yeah. And so that's why I kind of want to take Rude, but at the same time, I'm like, I think Runa is going to have a, a good first few sets against Rude. And if that thing just goes to the fifth, if Runa decides to take another set off just to take a break, you give Rude a free set, it's probably going to go five, right? The 39 over, uh, I think that's, yeah, I'm going to be confident and say that's where I'm landing at. What do you think? You think there's going to be long rallies and stuff for Runa to get exhausted or what? The thing of it is for me is like, we've seen a lot of narratives play out that stick to these guys. Like Sinner can't last in a long match. It's like Musetti guy that could just like simply disappear at times. And he just Houdini. The role he plays. Yeah. Is Houdini. He just the inconsistent nightmare like match to match. He just plays lights out one match. And then next match, you're like, Oh, I'm going to back this guy, but you'll learn your lesson that (laughs) he's not always the same player match to match. So you're saying that like for this match, that what that Runa is going to, his endurance, lack of endurance is going to kick in. I think the endurance is a real concern. Mm -hmm. Now he is the, the dog, which I do like. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I wouldn't want to pay juice for the, the side that could, just walk away uh or give it up with an injury the total is super jacked i would want an over three and a half which is probably like around minus 160 minus 170 so i don't love that either john do you have uh any tie break props uh, on your on your books yes we do have uh the runa and rude tie break props set over 0.5 so one plus tie breaks at minus 125 the over uh. one and a half is at plus 450 and the over two and a half if you think this is going through four or five sets and every one of them or at least 
The vast majority are going to be super tight. You can get plus 1,600 uh, on over two and a half tie breaks in the match. Man, you're laying juice for one tie break? Dang it. I was hoping it was going to be like... Well, well the, problem, the problem here is like, again, these guys know it probably goes four or five sets, right? So now you don't need to hit one... Like, you don't need 33% of the sets to go to a tie break. Now you only need 25 or 20... Uh, percent of those sets so i think you're fa they're factoring in the likelihood of this going longer being greater than the likelihood of this finishing in straight sets and that also impacts your your derivative prices like this like if you're going to go five sets it's far more likely obviously one of them goes to a tie break so they've also got to kind of factor that in to the equation and that's i don't even hate minus 125 to be honest but i think that's why you're seeing the number where it is the total breaks you've mentioned you mentioned that how many total what's the total breaks prop well there's over there's three of them you can oh total breaks pardon me uh over eight and a half for the match is at minus 110 and again it's just like these guys are gonna like these guys aren't heavy servers root they they both really struggled against half decent like somewhat athletic returners today and i say that in like in plural form when it was really just Runa who was dealing with an athletic returner and Rude basically coughed up a ton of break points to one that isn't all that athletic and Nico Jar uh, Nico Jaria just I don't think that eight and a half is enough Cons like again if you figure the fact that even if this is an end ends in straight sets three breaks a set is it sounds like a lot but when you consider the fact that both guys you know, having a bit more trouble on serve. You've got super slow conditions. They're both decent returners. They're both somewhat athletic. They play close games, you know, uh, close games, close sets, close matches. I just, I don't see why that, that would be uh, a number that would scare you off because you could have, you know, each set go two to one to, to, to one of the two guys when it's seven, five and you get your nine breaks in straight sets. Then you, then you consider the fact that you go over, you go to four or five sets. Again, that number of breaks per set you require comes down with each additional set they play. I kind of like that. I kind of like the over eight and a half breaks prop there. If the breaks prop is eight and a half, right? Hear me out. They're expecting at least two per set, right? So yeah, the over nine and a half is minus 135. I mean, if they're going to trade breaks, that, that should push that first set over. Hmm. So I got a minus that. 125 over here. I, yeah, I, I like the first set over nine and a half, considering the potential for a break and a break back here. Like This is what screwed me with the under, with the rude Surundalo one was trading breaks and then that went all the way up to mm. tie break <laughs> um I'll, I'll take a bite on the the over nine and a half here at minus 125 you have yeah that's uh bet three six five for those that have access to it what's your preference on taking overs and breaks rather than just taking over in games um well i, I just think that i get a better price on the breaks here and i get okay. the full match to do it that first set over market for me is more if i see if, if i have a tie break as a likelihood within the match and i you still like you so you like a favorite you need one i i like it on obviously quicker surfaces everyone does but numbers also you get a better price on, on these courts too so that that kind of evens out but i prefer guys that aren't the most athletic uh guys that don't return as well or have a, a noticeably weak uh wing so ruda doesn't but rude's backhand right that like nico hari Kasparud would theoretically have been a great one to to attack because Jari has a clear path forward in attacking Rude's backhand with his huge first serve and huge forehand. And he did. He went after it with his inside out forehand all day long. I want at least one of the guys not to be the greatest returner. So even if he's holding on the regular because of his big serve, at least his opponent with less weapons has a chance to get there. This one to me, it, it just, there's too much room for one guy to, to take the first set relatively easily. And then of course, should they do that? Should they win by a double break? You've still locked up your two breaks for the set that you require. Uh, and again, it's all about likelihoods and probabilities. For me, this one goes long far more often than it ends in three sets. With the first set over, you only have that one, the first set and it's done. Your market's decided, you're graded, you're off, you're finished. Whereas you have room to use that kind of logic and and your and your number is saying this goes long and they're both good returners neither of whom neither of them has a super potent serve runa probably a bit better for me but that's just my opinion so i see breaks happening my numbers have this going as a longer match and so i just think that to me it's more appealing from a prob probability standpoint than the first set uh over cool yeah, yeah. i like your reasoning john do you have a, a definitive bet on this match the over eight and a half breaks i'm gonna i'm gonna be on that one i know i'll be on and then probably Runa ML too, if that, especially if it keeps climbing. 
yes, if Runa uh, Moneyline continues to climb, like if it gets to like plus one ten, plus one fifteen, that will be my play. And John or Derek, I like your over look as well. All right, well we have the last one set. Alexander Zverev is going to take on Tomas Echeverry. This will be the first meeting for these guys. I suspect Zverev will be a heavy favorite, and quite frankly, deservedly so. I think this is going to be tough for Tomas to get the victory here. Yeah, I have this one as, as Zverev as a huge favorite for a lot of the same reasons I had him as a big favorite against Grigor. And I didn't pull the trigger last night when minus three was uh, $1.88 or minus one fifteen. Feeling pretty stupid about that because when I check right, I said, I, sometimes I say I'm going to leave these to the morning. I'm tired. I've handicapped all the early stuff, been out exercising for the day. I'm up five. Sometimes I'm like, if it's the afternoon matches, I'll let them, I'll let them go till the morning. And then of course the Europeans get there and kill the prices. So always just bet your edges when you have them. That's obviously a rule number, a pretty standard rule that me, you know, that's why I'm not a pro at this. <laughs> I do sometimes leave money on the table that I think closed at like minus 150. That was stupid. But I, similarly here, if this opens at minus three, you have to hit it. Grigor Dimitrov and Etcheri both have a forehand as a weapon, probably more so, especially on clay, more natural, more like a heavier shot uh, for Etcheri. I I do think he's susceptible on his backhand wing, especially against a, a solid backhand like Zverev's. I'm not huge on his return game. We saw like Francis Tiafo, big server, aggressive game. What that was able to do to him in Houston, if it weren't for Tiafo choking, I think late in both sets when he gave the break back, still won them in tie breaks. Um, that probably looked uh, probably ends up as a little bit more lopsided of a scoreline. Zvera is a little more natural on clay as well. So he doesn't, there's not a huge surface edge. If, there's no surface edge at all, really, for Echeverry here. The backhand advantage is huge. The service advantage is huge. Zvera still has solidity from the baseline. He's a very good returner, hovers the court well for his size. I just fail to see what exactly Echeverry does to keep this one close, similarly to Dimitrov. Okay, you took advantage of Altmaier. You played a relatively almost too passive form, you game style, but at least, you know, you showed the ability to play with a passive, more patient style. That doesn't work against Zverev. You're not going to be able to outweight him or outlast him from the baseline like you were against Altmaier a lot of the time. And then when he had to be more aggressive, he just, he was committing too many errors today. Zverev's defense was able to to wait, 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 and, he, and Dimitrov couldn't finish points with an error. This, it feels like Echeverry is probably a little more solid than Dimitrov. But I don't think he gets as many cheap points with his first uh, serve. And I, again, I just don't think he matches up well at all with Alex. Yeah, I think the only pathway for him to win is to keep extending the match. And I do think if this starts to hit the the four-hour, five-hour mark, I like the Etchberry side more than the Zverev side, uh, given you know some of the physical ailments that he, he has to battle through endurance-wise. So if he, if he can find ways to hold and get to a tie break, maybe get a, a set out at a tie break, maybe gets a late break uh, of Zverev, can hold serve to get a set. That, to me, is his only real way to victory, as if the if Zverev's body starts to fail him. Yeah, I think the same thing as whatever you guys said. I think Zverev's kind of just going to cover whatever the hell the spread's going to be. Um, Echever is a pretty good player, but I mean, Zverev's shown that he's somewhat close, pretty damn close, I should say, to where he was at last year. And the only thing I think is going to stop him is he, you know, like rolls his ankle or something like that. So um, I would stick with Zverev, the whatever the spread's going to be. Like, what do you think it's going to be? Like, Six and a half, seven. No, I think you're gonna be closer to four, four, four five, five, five or five and a half. Yeah. Oof, yeah, yeah. I definitely be in on Zverev minus five, even five and a half. Yeah. I think it should be up closer to six. I think you might get a five out there though. And we have seen, you know, Echeverry struggle with power guys. Tiafo, Umber, we lost with them. So yeah, I I think if Etchberry can like make this into a physical match, like do the the reverse of our big serving scammers, where he's like making all the points expensive instead of cheap points, <laughs> if you will, maybe he could get uh, some fitness issues uh, to surface for Zverev, but uh, probably going to be a beat down, which is really annoying because anyone that listens to this podcast knows that we've tried to be ahead, or at least I've tried to be ahead of Zverev getting back for a while and then i just gave up after he broke my heart so many times with that and now to see him uh, about to make the Roland Garros semifinals is uh, you know fairly tilting uh all right guys quickly so john you had a poll talk to us about that involved regarding casper rude yeah so this comes back to casper rude and i think it's just fun because 
you know, sometimes there's obvious answers to polls and like you, you get that result, right? You know, 60% of people pick the same option in a four option poll here. It's kind of, I only put out three options. There's only two that I think were realistic, although 13%, like there were dozens of people that voted uh, 11th or worse. And I'd love to hear the 10 people they consider better, but where does Casper rude rank for clay quarters on clay courts? Some guy in the replies was like, remember, this is all courts. So, no, no. I, I mentioned clay quarters particularly because like, hello, I'm talking about clay courts. I thought that was implied. And I think everyone else got that. Uh, but among clay quarters, among players on clay courts, where does he rank for you right now in your power ratings? And this is interesting because there's a lot of different things that go into it. Is it talent and abilities on clay courts? Is it resu- is it more results oriented? Do you factor in the last three years? Do you factor in just this year? And I think everyone has a different way of looking at this. And I don't, there is no correct answer. And the, the poll kind of showed that. I put out top five top 10, so basically five, six to 10, um, or worse than 10, 11th or worse. And the results came in at 45.7% saying top 10, 41.2 at top five, 13.1 11th or worse. Again, I, I want to pick someone's brain on that. Please comment uh, on the poll. If you if you voted that way, you're listening to this, um, please go ahead and, and comment 10 players that are better on clay right now than, than Casper Ruud. Uh, and there were two, about 300 votes. And you know, this is going to go for another 16 hours. So we might, those numbers might change, but that's at the time of recording where we're at. For me, I have, I have top 10. I don't think he's top five anymore. Uh, because I do factor, I weight just ability on, on clay a bit more than just pure results. And for me, he's been passed by, I mean, we know the top two are Djokovic and Alcaraz, right? Like we don't, we don't even have to have that discussion. Now it's who's in your three, four, five slots. And for me, I have Runa ahead of him. I have Sitsi Pass still ahead of him. I mean, Sitsi Pass, a lot of people talk about his, oh, he's looked shaky at times this year on clay. And he's still been 10 times the player results-wise than, than Rude is. But he's got a way bigger game. He's got the same weakness that Rude does, but with a way better forehand and way better serve. He moves, he's got a better net game. He comes into net, he actually mixes it up sometimes. Not often, but sometimes. I mean, Sitsi Pass is ahead for me. I do believe Runa has passed him, despite the head-to-head from before Runa got great and and him almost beating him in Rome. I can't just say if X player has beaten Y player more often, he's automatically better on a surface. I I, I can't go there. I think body of work matters a bit more. And Runa, again, doesn't have that glaring weakness on the backhand wing that can be picked on nearly nearly as badly. And I think he gets a bit more from his serves uh, as well. That leaves who's your fifth spot, right? Do you go Sinner? Sinner. Zverev. Do you go Zverev? Because he hasn't been that bad this clay season. He's lost to like Medvedev, Alcaraz, randomly to Chris O'Connell, and then uh, Jari in altitude where he ended up winning a title. You can make a case Zverev is ahead of Kaspar Ruud now. You can make a case Sinner, of course, you know, has the talent. Does he have like the, the physicality? Because clay courts, physicality is important, right? Like that is a big part of clay court tennis. And if you don't have that part, uh, 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 that aspect to your game then you're not going to be as good on clay because you need to be able to withstand those those grueling wars on court i don't know where where do you guys fall here i said top 10 but i think it's firmly between the the five and seven range leaning closer to six or seven yeah i think it's around six seven depending on where you want to put daniel medvedev oh god there yeah him too how much do you believe in his rise he's got a he's got he's got a case to be better than rude for sure um yeah i think that's exactly where he stands it's high for six with Medvedev. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I would make the case that, you know, because of how clay season works or how clay works, which is the same with hard courts a little bit, but you know, with all these like clay two fifties and the golden swing and like post Wimbledon, and then there's some sprinkled in the, the main clay season. Like there's a reason cast root has made a name for himself and it's feasting on those. So it's like, you know, if he drops into those it can and win a bunch of those i, I think that that should give him more credit uh, than he, he probably gets because he's like literally beating most people uh most clay players then uh um, and then yeah. it, it is like yeah only a handful of people that that are probably better than, than him on the surface so i, I would say he's got to be in the, the top by the way five. like does does sitsy boss like win every golden swing event like rude does like you know what i mean I mean, I don't know. He doesn't play them. He doesn't play them, but would he, I mean, would he just wreck havoc like Rude does? 
We also didn't even mention Nadal, by the way. I don't know if he's excluded from. Well, he's, I mean, he's in my mind, he's retired. Uh, He can come back next year. All he wants until I see him actually play at even 60% of the level he once could in my mind, he's retired. Like, yeah, sorry. I, I, I should, I should have put that in there too, because Hey, if Nadal comes back next year, finally takes off like an almost entire calendar year, gets his surgery, rehabs to full, you know, of, uh, a 100% healthy Nadal and he doesn't, you know, like he did in previous years, rush back for the French and then screw the rest of the year. He comes back like for one or two more years, just clay courts. He's definitely ahead of Casper Ruud as well. And we saw that at the French last year. So, but I mean, yeah, he's, he's out of the conversation for now. No, but you're right. If Zverev is like back, like all the way back, he's ahead of Casper Ruud. I mean, he dominates him head to head. Ruud got it out that win in Miami against him on hard court. Um, but previously, it had been a pretty one-sided affair between those two. Uh, and I, I, I Rude has given me nothing uh, in terms of, like, he's actually, like, kind of gone down a bit compared to last year for me. So, if Zverev's working back to neutral, I think you do have to put him ahead of Rude. But- and this all comes back to, like, what you wait to. Do you wait this year super heavily, or do you wait priors for, like, a year or two? Because the guys from uh, Game Bet Match... Um, were tweeting and and I think one of them knew where I was going to go with this because they they replied and they hadn't and that at the end they almost threw like a a, a random and Sinner is nowhere near the top ten right now, which I had a chuckle at because I I vehemently disagree with it and it, and it felt like that was like they knew I was going to disagree with it uh, so they got out ahead I, I will disagree there I mean Sinner's lost the Elmar loss isn't great neither was Sarundalo and the the only argument I would have against Sinner that you could make to me is that the physicality isn't there and it's such an integral part of a clay court game but man he's he, he is definitely top ten um, you could make the case not top five and again I would disagree I'll take a healthy Sinner against anyone except Alcaraz and Djokovic on clay and even then no you know what probably against anyone to have a chance to win a match on a clay court period. Um, not even with the Djokovic and Alcaraz caveat, but the the physicality is a concern. So how far do you bump down? Do you really bump out of your top 10 for that? I don't, but I think it just shows like, well, there are a lot of guys in this discussion. And there's a lot of different things and inputs. You can weight differently that give that they'll produce different results. Right. So I figured that would be a, a fun talking point. And I'm glad the, the results of the vote turned out the way they did. Cause it is a, a pretty even split between top five and top 10. All right, boys. Well, we've kind of run out of time for the the challenger talk, actually. Um, <laughs> yeah. But grass season has returned to the United Kingdom with the tournament in Surbiton. And if you are going to play quickly, just know it'll be fast. Quick points. Full percentages go way up. Guys like Dennis Kudla, who won today. Kudla, a.k.a. the Grassassin. He's going to pop up. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a cast change. Different characters are going to Come to the forefront, Tim Van Rythoven, randomly out of nowhere, oh, yeah. won Den Bosch last year. Uh, so we'll dive into more of this as the main tour gets there. Uh, I would expect an Australian affair this week uh, with Kubler, our guy Jason Kubler, already picked up a win. Looks like Popperin in the top half. Looks like he's got a nice little pathway. So should be a fun week. Any quick thoughts before we get out of here on John? Yeah, if you're getting, you get some young Brit guys, not even younger, just British and general guys with big serves. In that plus four and a half range, uh, they'll look pretty good. I think Zizou Berg's won a challenger last year. I think it's a qualifier, too. Obviously makes sense. Huge serve, forehand combo, athletic, good on all surfaces. But I think last year was his first year on grass. So fading some guys, tape study is important. Fading some guys on grass that have never played it before is going to be fruitful. Sometimes it's going to cost you a lot of money, right? You got to watch to see how the footwork is, how the adaptation to the the lower bounces, can they still just hammer the ball back? Or are they just going to put a lot into net or have to slice it over or play more passively than their power style generally would prefer? Like or they would prefer with their power style, I should say. That's important. Zizou, I think, I, I believe last year was his first year on grass or at least first extended year. And he, he won a freaking challenger title. That said, you know, he's a dollar 15 or like minus 700 or something like that against Mark Whitehouse, who is pretty... You know, he's a Brit. Anytime you see a Brit with a big serve on these courts that's going to catch four to five games, eh, kind of red flag goes up trying with uh, with back into favorite. So these kinds of things, it is so niche. You want to talk about niche sports. Grass court tennis is the most niche of the niche sports, even more than the NHL, believe it or not. 
just because it's a month a year and it's so unique, man. Like the bounce, uh, the, the, what's the, the game style that's rewarded. Like you can still serve and volley effectively here. And it's like the last bastion of serve and volley tennis. So just make sure you're, and, and, and even data wise, the samples aren't large enough because we don't play it long enough to get really good uh, samples, really hone in on your player profiles because there are going to be some guys who have never played on it before. Alex Kovacevic very well could beat Chris Eubanks or at least stick right there with him to, to, to two tie breaks. He's a rather big underdog because he's never played on it. Gabriel Diallo, the Canadian, huge serve forehand, not, hasn't played on it. So again, he might be undervalued. Then again, he might not be able to move around the courts and deal with how quickly the ball comes at him. Do some tape study on these kinds of guys. Because if you can if you can see that he's more competitive or or a little more takes more naturally to the surface in those regards, that'll benefit you in the next in the next two to three weeks. Yeah, Maxime Cressy won Newport on grass with this serve and volley style. Uh, Jordan Thompson won this event last year. He's back in the field. He's minus one fifty five against Mackenzie McDonald. Um, Dan Evans has won this in twenty nineteen. He's in the field. Uh, so. Gonna be some good action here. Uh, maybe don't go too big on the first round. See how these guys do, and then find a way to attack it later in the week. Um, all right, guys. I do like McCubler and Poprin in the final. <laughs> all right, <laughs> all right, guys. We've said it all. Uh, follow John at Jerry Tweets Tennis at Tibbets Tennis. Follow Derek at Fair versus Nicole. Follow us at MP9 Tennis. Follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time, see you on the court.